science enthusiasts, welcome to the Science Podcast. This is episode 21 of season one. I'm your host, Jason Zakowski. I'm a high school chemistry teacher, and Bunsen, the Twitter science dog, is our family doggo. Speaking of Bunsen, give him a follow on social media at BunsenBurnerBMD. The podcast is made possible by the patrons who support it. If you're interested in becoming a patron of the science podcast, head to our Patreon page, patreon.com backslash BunsenBurner. We have some fun swag set up for all tiers of support. I just shipped out the swag with the RCMB on it, the Royal Canadian Mounted Bernice. It's an adorable logo. People have been really excited to get it. This week, we've got a fun show. In science news, I'm going to update you about the dangers of vaping and then talk a little bit about the science of polar bears as I got to fly up to Churchill, Manitoba and take a tundra buggy out to see them. So exciting. Our guest this week is Christine K, aka Chemistry Cake. She runs her own podcast and she's a chemist. The interview with Christine runs a little long, so we won't have Woo or Wow this week, but we've got some fun stories about Bunsen at the end. Hey Bunsen, what do polar bears eat for lunch? An ice burger. Yeah, it's so bad. Okay, on with the show. Because there's no time like science time! (laughs) This week in science news, I'm going to update you about vaping. I talked about vaping a good seven or eight podcasts ago about some of the preliminary results in the United States, kind of pointing to some of the dangers of it, that they've had deaths and they've had hospital visits because of vaping. Vaping's really new, right? All of the data about it is just starting to come out. Um, They don't have any longitudinal studies about the dangers of vaping. Anyways, in that article that I deconstructed for everybody, I talked about one of the ingredients in that vape juice, which they thought was a culprit. And the evidence seems to show now upon further study that it is the culprit. And that's vitamin E acetate. Vitamin E acetate is a dietary supplement. It's sometimes in skin products and it's put into vape juice to kind of make it more gooey, to kind of give it some viscosity. All of the people that got sick, 29 patients suffering from lung fluid who were, uh, who had to be put into the hospital from vaping, vitamin E acetate was the only chemical that was common to all of the vape juices that were tested in this quick study. So that that allows the CDC researchers to hone in on that. Like, what is the what is its um, what is its mechanism to make people sick? And they found also that more people were sick from THC. Uh, vape juice. That's like the marijuana, the, the psychoactive ingredient in marijuana, and less so from the nicotine vape juice with vitamin E acetate. It was just a blurb that they put out to be uh, to be super aware of it, and that while it's a breakthrough in discovery that this seems to be the culprit, they're they're honing in on studying this uh, vitamin E acetate and its effect on the lungs. And just to give you some idea, there have been uh, over 2,000 patients with this lung fluid from vaping, and 39 people have died. So the data is coming in that vaping is not without risk. It has risk. And and perhaps this vitamin E acetate makes it more risky. Anyways, that's an update on vaping. 
and the science and the dangers therein. Okay, I'm super excited to talk to you about the second science story. And it's just more science facts than really a article from the news. And, and this is be, because of my amazing experience um, last week with polar bears. So I organized a trip for six other science teachers from my high school to fly from Calgary, Alberta to uh, Churchill, Manitoba, which is a really remote northern Canadian city. Um, it's a very small city, like less than a thousand people live there. And we hopped on tundra buggies under the, <laughs> under the protection of people with shotguns and took the tundra buggies out onto the tundra around Hudson Bay um, to look for polar bears. And it was a bit of an ordeal. The plane ride there had some mechanical issues. So we were delayed by about an hour and a bit. And when we got there, it was freezing cold, like um, subarctic or Arctic conditions. It was about minus 30, minus 35 with the wind chill. That's Celsius. It was really, really cold. And we left from Calgary, which had a Chinook rolling through. So it was about six or seven degrees Celsius, kind of balmy. And we got there and it was a bit of a shock. It was really cold and the wind was biting and the tundra buggy started to freeze up. The diesel uh, started to gel. So our tundra buggy had some mechanical issues. Luckily or unluckily, even though the tundra buggy itself was delayed by an hour, by the time we got out there, we rolled up just to this perfect spot where two male polar bears were lounging around. And they put on quite a show. They're not scared of the tundra buggies. Like these are like apex predators, polar bears are. And the, <laughs> and the polar bears were doing goofy stuff, like super goofy dog-like behavior. They, the, the one was putting its head down on the ice, like chin, and like scooting itself along with its face, like pushing, having its arms down by its side behind it and then pushing forward with his powerful back legs, like plowing its face forward on the snow. And then they would roll on their back and like itch themselves and clean themselves and kick their adorable feet up in the air. So we stood there, we, we watched them for a good probably two hours and we were really close, uh, closer than I thought we would get to them. Like uh, close enough, you could see basically everything that they were doing. So that was amazing. There's other animals we saw up there. We saw pine marten, which are these little brown weasel guys are pretty cute. And ptarmigans, which are these white chickens. They're like Arctic chickens. They don't, they don't uh, migrate. They stay there all year. They're really hard to see. Um, we were lucky enough, we came across two whole flocks of them, like probably 20 in each flock, and they scurry along the ground. They're the same color as the snow and the tundra, and they jump up and they eat the buds that are growing on the shrubs and the trees that are around there, um, any of the little buds that are left over. So we saw them eat some of that. Um, they're really cool. I guess in the winter when it gets really cold, they bury themselves under the snow like birds. They just like, and they bury themselves under the snow. And one of the biologists that we had on the trip, he said that uh, when he went cross country skiing, I don't know why you're going to cross country ski around Churchill. You're going to get ate by a polar bear. Um, but he was cross country skiing and he cross country skied over some of these ptarmigans and they like erupted around him because they were the same color as the snow and they were buried under the snow. I, he didn't hurt any, but anyways, that's the ptarmigan story. And then at the very end of the trip, as the sun was setting and we were losing daylight, um, our guide got radio confirmation that a mama and two baby bears were making a beeline for the ice. And uh, he put us in position to see them walk off into the sunset 
onto the tundra ice of Hudson Bay. It was like, it was hard to describe the feeling of seeing, you know, this, this apex predator with its cubs in its natural environment going out to hunt seal on the tundra uh, on the ice. So that was, it was an amazing trip. It was a one day thing, really long day, like almost 20 hour day. Um, but totally, totally worth it. And I can't wait to bring the experience back to my students. So just a couple science facts about polar bears. So the male bears that we saw were around 800 to a thousand pounds. They can get more, they can get bigger than that. And probably when they stood up, the guide figured they were around eight feet tall, eight and a half feet tall. They have markings on the side of the tundra buggies where enormous bears have been known to like wander up to the tundra buggy and then try to look inside, probably to eat the people inside. Um, Polar bears are super dangerous. They are the most dangerous bear by far. They don't care. They are not scared of humans. They're not scared of anything. There's nothing that they are scared of. Um, The people who live in Churchill have to be really careful when they're out and about because the polar bears can wander into town. We took school buses out to the Tundra Buggies from Churchill and there was uh, two mounted shotguns in the um, inside the bus, which was kind of weird to see a shotgun in a school bus. <laughs> um, but it's just in case the bus breaks down or there's polar bears prowling around. And as soon as we got to the tundra buggies, they protect like there's guards protecting us as we scurried off of the school buses onto these enormous tundra buggies under protection of, with shotguns. Now, the guns don't have lethal shot in it. They're called crack shot. So they could shoot them at the bear. It wouldn't, it'd probably sting and hurt them, but it wouldn't kill them. It just makes a loud sound to scare them away. One of the most adorable things about the bears were their feet. Their, the, the polar bear feet has almost no pad showing. Like you look at a dog's foot. It's got little pads on the bottom of it. Um, polar bears have almost no pads. And that's to uh, so they don't lose heat through their feet to the ice. So the fur comes down and covers almost their entire foot. They only have a little bit of pad to give them grip on the ice. And their claws are way different than grizzly and black bear. Grizzly and black bear claws, um, while they're sharp and while they can get prey, they're also built for digging. So they're built to dig out roots and things like that that they might get hungry and want to eat later. But polar bear claws are curved and wicked sharp. Their only function is to give them grip on the ice and to kill and eat seals. Um, so they're pretty, they're way different than uh, other bear claws. A polar bear head has massive jaws, like the jaw muscle is connected further back, and they have little cute ears. <laughs> they have little adorable ears, but the ears are really small and flat against their head. So again, they don't lose a lot of heat that way. When polar bears are are growing, I learned a fascinating fact that they have to eat like pretty much a seal a week and they can convert one pound of seal blubber into one pound of polar bear weight. So they have this incredibly efficient metabolism and the two male polar bears we saw, one was definitely a little bit more chonky than the other one. Um, and this is their time to hunt. They have to hunt and, and eat a ton of seals. They actually will only eat the blubber of the seal and they'll leave the rest of it because it's just not energy dense enough. It's not worth it for them to eat it. And that's where all of the other little animals get their uh, food from, like the foxes that are up there, the pine martens, some birds, 
they are scavengers of the um, seals. Also, um, whales that have died can wash ashore, and that's like a big deal for the bears. That can that can like single-handedly help bears survive because they don't have a great survivability. It's incredibly harsh conditions. Like it's hard to describe what the tundra looks like. You could see a picture of it if you follow uh, Bunsen's account or my account. If you've ever been to the mountains where you're high enough where there's no longer vegetation, that's what the tundra looks like, except there's no mountains. So it's flat, but it looks like the top of a mountain and everything is rocky and everything is white. One of the last things I'll share is the wind that blows in from the Arctic actually uh, makes all of the trees around Hudson's Bay not have branches on the northwest side because that's where the wind comes from. It's a southeast wind. So all of these trees look like they've been burnt on one side, but it's just the wind that just blasts them and it just stops them from growing all of these um, coniferous trees like uh, like spruce and stuff. So that was another really alien kind of thing to be driving through. And then you eventually drive through that and you just have little scraggy shrubs that the ptarmigans live off of. And then you're, that's it. It's ice. It's Hudson's Bay and ice. Um, and the mama bear that we saw that was uh, at the very, very end, she was making a beeline for the ice to protect her cubs. There's predation on the cubs by other polar bears. So all in all, it was a very fascinating uh Super fascinating trip. Bunsen's account has some pictures of them. Um, you can follow me on social media to see some more. I'm Zed Science, Z-E-D Science. Yeah, fascinating, fantastic. Makes you respect the explorers and the Inuit that live there. It's just inhospitable. Um, I think it's cold where we live. Like, And climate change is affecting them. The population of polar bears around Hudson's Bay aren't doing so well. They've lost huge numbers in the last 75 years, which is really sad. And that's the story of my trip to see the polar bears in science news this week. Hey, this week in dog science, it's gonna be really short. It's just a heads up about a warning from the US Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, um, and whatever that is in Canada, CDA, Canada Drug, okay, we're gonna call it the CDA. I'm pretty sure it's the CDA. Anyways, there's a warning about sugar-free foods and how it affects dogs' metabolism. And the, the sugar-free or the sugar substitute called Xyotol has been shown to have some very adverse effects in dogs. So Xyotol is found in sugar-free candy, uh, chewing gum, breath mints, um, those skinny ice creams, uh, toothpaste, cough syrups, some peanut butters, and some nut butters. Anyways, what Xyotol does is... Dogs, when they eat it, it's absorbed in their bloodstream and it actually affects their insulin. They release a lot of insulin. Um, and insulin, of course, is the hormone that regulates how sugar gets into cells. The insulin spike could cause dogs' blood sugar to plummet. And when that happens, dogs can go into a coma and then have death. It's called hypoglycemia. In humans, xylitol doesn't do that. It, d it doesn't stimulate the release of insulin, uh, but it does in dogs. 
So what you'll see in dogs, and it's really serious if this happens, it's vomiting, weakness, they'll have difficulty standing, and then they'll have a seizure potentially and go into a coma. And it's fast, like within 15 or 30 minutes of consumption. And we all know dogs can eat so much stuff so quickly. Like they just wolf stuff down faster than any human. So just be really careful, everybody. If you've got products with xylitol in them, it is a warning from the the big... FDA to not allow your dogs to eat that. Anyways, that's dog science for this week. Pro tip, keep them away from the Zatal. We're going to take a quick break from the podcast to talk about our sponsor this week for catsanddogs.com. That's F-O-R catsanddogs.com. It's a really cute site. It's got tons of products for your dogs and your cats. They have little sweaters for the dogs that might get cold. Bunsen doesn't necessarily need that. They also have adorable light-up leashes and light-up collars for walking your dog at night. Check them out. There's a link in the description to the podcast. And if you put in Bunsen as the discount code, you'll get a little break at the store. And that's Bunsen, all lowercase. B-U-N-S-E-N. That's for catsanddogs.com. On the Science Podcast today in the Ask an Expert section, I'm so excited to have Christine K, Chemistry <laughs> K, read the podcast. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. And you are uh, you're uh, working on your master's in chemistry, which is something that's near and dear to my heart because I am a chemist and high school teacher myself, and I can finally talk chemistry with somebody. And it's you, and you're so exciting on Twitter, and your, your Twitter feed is so fun. Uh, I just can't... <laughs> where are you in the world right now? Like, where are you calling from, Christine? I am calling from sunny San Diego. Oh, we! I am jealous. So jealous. <laughs> yeah, it's really great right now. Um, well, well, yes. Okay, so San Diego is pretty wonderful uh, most of the year because it's very temperate. But I think the common misconception is that it's always sunny, which isn't true because uh, we have like quite a few hours depending on like the time of year where we'll have a very thick marine layer so it's very cold in the morning and sometimes it doesn't burn off until one and then like it's really humid in the afternoon but for the most part San Diego is pretty great <laughs> now I'm gonna put cold in quotation marks because yeah, remember okay. I'm from I'm from Canada so there's a different definition true. of cold. yeah it's well <laughs> so for me that's cold because I'm originally from the desert where it's like 114 degrees oh like, one of the desert states yeah like, one uh, of the I no, I'm actually just a, I'm from a little bit north of San Diego. So I, I'm from Santa Clarita and so that's like oh, Chaparral okay. area. And so it gets very dry and hot over there. So it's like, wow, like the temperature is dropping below eighty. This is cold. <laughs> <laughs> My family's been to San Diego, I think, twice. And I love it there. I, I love the ocean cool. And we're so landlocked in Alberta. It's a treat to go to the ocean um like we got to drive like a thousand kilometers before we get to the ocean because uh, oh, canada yeah. is so canada is so enormous well, you know, the united states is no enormous too it'd be like you'd be in like one of your middle states right, um right. i'm not great with the geography but yeah okay so you you have an undergrad in chemistry and you're working on your master's in chemistry and i know it's way more specific than that can you tell everybody about your like your training in science and your journey so far yeah for sure so I got my bachelor's degree in pharmacological chemistry at UC San Diego, 
And I am currently um, doing my master's degree also at UC San Diego, but in inorganic chemistry. So it's a little different. Mm. Yeah, uh, because charm charm would be more organic, right? Right. More more organic, more pharmacology, more biochemistry. And uh, inorganic chemistry is metal heavy, or at least the inorganic that I work with is uh, metal heavy. So it's, it's a bit of a a learning curve there, but it's super exciting. I, I do enjoy all of the pretty colors. <laughs> I am unashamed of that fact. <laughs> like pharmacology, organic chemistry is more, more blase and the inorganic stuff is more uh, fantastical. <laughs> um, you know, I, I wouldn't quite say that, but okay. I, I will say, I will say that the colors are much more vibrant in inorganic chemistry. I do really enjoy organic chemistry. Actually, the project that I'm currently working on is largely organic, and so um, it's it's more of like an organo metallic esque project. So it makes me really happy. <laughs> oh, that that is so cool! I that is so cool. Um, I noticed on your Twitter feed, Twitter feed you mentioned nanoparticles. Can we yes. delve into that a bit? Because that's I yeah. think you work with that, right? I do work with nanoparticles. So oh, that's so cool. It is It is so cool. So um, the current project that I am working on is the synthesis of metal-loaded polydopamine nanoparticles. And I am trying to characterize their local structure by magnetic analysis. Um, and so uh, these nanoparticles are super cool. Polydopamine is a synthetic melanin mimic. So like melanin, the the pigment that's in our eyes and skin and hair. And um, this material, it exhibits a lot of similar properties as melanin, which is super cool. One of the things though that we don't really understand about polydopamine is the local structure. Like we have an idea, we know that polydopamine can, um, it's a polymer of several dopamine monomers and variants of dopamine like L-DOPA and and other monomers, but we don't really understand how it polymerizes and in which way it does polymerize. We just know that it consistently forms spheres that are about 150 to maybe 200 nanometers, which is super cool. It's a very dark material, like even in super dilute solutions. So um, that is why if anyone saw on my Twitter account that I was working with a 5,000 milliliter flask, it's actually like a liter of, of solvent with maybe, maybe a hundred milligrams of a uh, solid. So it's super oh dilute. My goodness. Yeah. It's so dilute. And the reason why it has to be dilute is that the material will aggregate if I, if I make it any more concentrated. Can you, can you break down just a couple technical terms like aggregate yeah. means to just, so, just for people who aren't um, chemistry with a chemistry background? Yeah, for sure. So, so uh, a, a really great analogy that I like to use is boba. So my, if people don't know what boba is, it's, it's a, like a tapioca pearl. Um, okay. Yeah. 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 So, so, or like bubble tea, uh, I just want to like make sure that I'm hitting all the regions that use this, like different terms for the same beverage. Um, and so, you know, these black boba balls, what aggregate means is that these boba balls clump together such that you can't pull them apart. Um, and it's like this big clump of material that isn't really distinct. So you don't have these really nice 
little pearls as you would um, if it wasn't an aggregate. Ah, I got you. So the experiments become ruined the way that you want it to. Essentially, yeah. So like if it's a big clump, I can't I can't see if if it made the material. It's not a sphere. So it's like, I, I don't know what is this gunk. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. Poly, polydopamine has many dopamines put together. And dopamine, it's like a neurotransmitter, is it not? That is correct. Uh, so polydopamine is a lot of dopamines. However, it's <laughs> not just dopamine. It's it's fascinating because I think I'd written a, read in a paper recently that you have your dopamine monomers, of you know, because polydopamine, but then you also have something called DHI. I believe it's um, dopahydroxyindole, and that is like um like an oxidized or cyclic, uh, cyclized version of, of dopamine. And those uh, actually pie stack. So essentially, it's like you have pieces of paper stacking onto each other. Um, okay. And so it's, it's a bit confusing, because it's not just dopamine, it's variations also of dopamine. So it's like any intermediate. So it's perhaps not as simple as dopamine, 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 all stuck together like Legos. Yes, that is correct, which is why it's so <laughs> difficult to Yeah, this is it's like you're trying to connect like Legos with something that is not Legos, but they're together and you don't understand why they're together. <laughs> it's oh, like, how did this cool. work? <laughs> so you're almost like you've, somebody's built, somebody's built something crazy out of a bunch of repeating pieces of Lego, but thrown in there, you have like Duplo and Meccano and Play-Doh and you're also blind and you can't see it with <laughs> your eyes. And, um, and then you're, you're trying to use like some crazy stuff to figure it out. And if you do it wrong, it blobs into a glob that you just screws your whole experiment up. Yeah, essentially that, that, that very much sums it up. <laughs> I, I maybe we could go stretching too far here with my chemistry knowledge because I, I've been out of school for a while. I've been teaching high school chemistry, which is not near the level that you're in right now. Um, the end result of understanding this, what are some of the applications that maybe people can like one, it's super interesting from just an exploratory area, but is there an end game with understanding this molecule or this repeating polymer? Yeah. So that's actually, this is why this material is super interesting because typically, right. You want to explore this material more and then you'll be able to figure out oh this is what we can do as an application this material actually already has a plethora of applications already published like okay. i think the review that i was reading half of the review and it's a 59 page review half of it was just applications um this material has phenomenal adhesive properties so surface coating um so if you take this material and you coat it on and it'll it will stick adhere to any surface that you put it on, um, and that is most apparent when I am trying to wash my glassware because there's just <laughs> like a it's like slightly tinted and then I just know my nanoparticles were there. It's like ah oh, my yield anyway. Um, <laughs> or or um, there was an experiment that I read about that they took uh, these po uh, polydopamine nanoparticles and they coated it over a cherry tomato. Like, I, I don't know what? why they decided to coat a cherry tomato. Maybe like the person was eating lunch and like was looking at their cherry tomato when their salad was like, Hmm, I would like to coat this with polydopamine. And then they did. And the really fascinating thing is that this material is really 
hydrophilic or it really likes water. So when they put water onto the cherry tomato, you'd see these really beautiful beads of water on the entire surface of the cherry tomato, even on the sides. Like you would think like you would see no water droplets on the sides. Maybe like it will be okay on the top if you like balance it just right. But they were all over the cherry tomato just stuck. Um, like the gravity had no effect on it. And it was just Oh my goodness, beautiful. that's crazy. Yeah. So that's one. Um, another is this material is very biocompatible. And so there's a lot of um, applications for biomedical uh, biomedical sensing and biomedical applications. Um, I believe this material has been, it's been explored to use this for magnetic resonance imaging or MRI contrast image, like contrast agents. And so uh, that's been pretty cool. It's also been used for, I believe, environmental purposes. I, I know a little less about that, but I know that that was something that was mentioned before. Um, and so this is a really, really fascinating material. This is also, uh, this material can also be used to help on an ex uh, like a, a reaction of something else. So I know that polydopamine is often used uh, in concurrence with silicon. Um, it's used with gold nanoparticles. It's used uh, for drug design. And so this is a very, very versatile, very diverse uh, molecule. Like, uh, well, it is, it's a big molecule, uh, nanoparticle. Um, it's really cool. And, and then just to backtrack and make things kind of cyclical, your area of research with this is just understanding some of the mysterious properties of it. Right. Yeah. So right. So it, this material is a bit of a black box. Like we don't know why it's doing the things that it's doing, but it does. And so uh, we kind of wanted to take a step back and see like, okay, maybe if we understood just the structure of this material, we could understand why it functions the way that it does. And so it's, it's a very exploratory um, area of research that I'm in right now. But I would like, I would love to be able to take this and, and be able to explore applications that haven't yet been explored. <laughs> so you're not going to be coating any cherries with it, even though that... You know, I, you know... <laughs> Maybe, maybe one of these days, like I would love to, I would love to coat a cherry tomato with, <laughs> with my material one day. Just like, yeah, like. Uh, <laughs> it reminds me of like uh, um, Ian Malcolm or um, Jeff Goldblum's character from Jurassic Park. He says yeah. that your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't think of, stop to think if they should. Like, uh -huh. it's just one of those scenarios. Like, hey, we got this, we got this amazing <laughs> thing. Oh, uh, I brought a cherry tomato for lunch. Let's just coat the crap out of it and see what happens. This is crazy. That's science. Yeah, right for you. <laughs> I just, it was so wild when I read that. It was definitely amusing. <laughs> well, that's very exciting. Your area of research is fascinating. I mean, it, it just takes one or two little, you know, checks in a box or questions answered. And who knows where more of this could be used in our world. So um, one of the things I was going to ask, ask you about is you're clearly, if anybody follows your Twitter feed and listens to your podcast, you're just clearly just insanely passionate for chemistry. Oh, what, yeah. what was it that draw that drew you to chemistry? Like where did, do you have a story about that or, or is it just, you know, it was innate in you from when you were little. So I was going to say, yes, and then you said the second 
like option. And I want to say that's also yes. Um, I think I would, I would love to, we would love to hear it. Yeah. So yeah, go ahead. I, I was just a very curious, very inquisitive child. Like I was so fascinated by how the world worked. And um, I remember when I was a little girl, like I promise there's a, there's a, like I, I have a point at the end, but um, I <laughs> was playing with these like toy cars and I was fascinated by the way that they moved. And so I tried to fashion my own cars. Um, and so that's just a little bit of like how creative cake was in terms of like, I'm curious and I want to figure out how this works and I want to make this on my own. I want to be able to re- reproduce it. Now, the draw to chemistry came when I believe I was six years old and I was watching uh, Food Network with my mom. Um, we were watching Good Eats, um, hosted by Alton Brown. And I remember the specific episode too. He was talking about chili peppers. And I think like the selling point for Cake was when he was talking about the reason why peppers are hot. And okay, he pulled yeah. out this molecular model of capsaicin. And I was like, yep. there it is. I'm sold. I want to, I don't know what that is, but I want to make it. Like, what is that? Um, and my mom saw the light in my eyes as I was watching. Like, I was like sitting at the foot of the bed, just like so close to the TV. And she's like, honey, you need to be not so close to the TV. Like, you're going to get, no, step away. And I, <laughs> I was so enraptured by this molecular model. And so my mom actually, got me a toy chemistry set after that Uh and I like would go around my house and like get various like soaps and lotions and moisturizers and put them in my little test tubes and be like these are my lotion potions and I was like (laughs) I don't understand why it's so like chunky like it has to like it's not like beautiful and clear and fluid like all the things I see on tv one of these days I will make a beautiful clear solution um (laughs) and and you know I you know years later yeah, I did but but um so she saw that I was so like enthralled by science and so she started buying me books about science and um and then I read about Marie Curie oh Marie Curie young, there we go as a young girl and I was like this woman got a Nobel prize in physics and chemistry and oh, and I was reading good. about her chemistry and she, I was reading about how like she would do science and it made her feel like a kid again. And I was like, wow, like, I want to be like that. Like I want to be able to like devote my life to science in that way. And she just loved her science. And I was like, I want to love science like that. And I guess, I mean, I mean, like, I, I don't know. I just, it was so wonderful. And that love just kind of followed me in life. Like I loved chemistry, like growing up, I loved earth science. I loved, um, botany. I loved astronomy. I I loved a lot of different science things, um, and but I think what really sold me to chemistry was the fact that it forced me to have to have an imagination. Like because you can't really see you can't see molecules. You can't see individual molecules. So I had to imagine like what what would that look like? How would that? How would this reaction go? How would these molecules behave? Um, and that really like got me hooked because I, I am a spatial thinker, right? Like mm-hmm. I like to imagine things moving around. Um, and, and then I fell in love with chemistry even more. 
when I was in uh, college, especially when I started organic chemistry, when we were talking about mechanisms. And um, I think the word that was used that stuck with me, it, it was a quote by Kekule about how the electrons were dancing. Oh, yeah. Yep. That was that was that image stuck in my brain and helped me think about the flow of electrons. And I was like, wow, this is beautiful. Because I also love art, right? I'm also an artist. Yeah, um, I love dance. I'm going love- to get to some of your questions about that. You're just fantastic. Oh, yeah. Oh, thank you. Oh, yeah. So I and so like, I think the more that I study chemistry, the more that I'm just like, wow, I, I love this. I don't think I could ever give this up. Like, this is wonderful. I, I feel like in the lab, I feel like I'm a kid again. So um, yeah, I love it a lot. <laughs> That's a great story. That's, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm kind of like speechless. That's so good. Well done <laughs> explaining your love for chemistry. Um, what really, what really connects with me, cause I teach chemistry to kids, right? Yeah. Is, is, uh, that when you, when you were little and you, you saw that molecular model of capsaicin kids, I get that with kids, right? You see you show them a thing mm-hmm. and they're like, what? That's, that's the thing. And I'm like, yeah. okay, here's a, here's a model kit, build it. And they're like, what? And they'll spend their entire lunch building stuff. Um, yeah. And it's really, uh, for me, I, it's, it makes makes me feel better about my job because these kids are, you know, in times they could be uh, psychotically browsing Snapchat. They're building mo- models of, of different molecules, which is really cool. So that's really cool that you connected that way. And um, the kids that I teach connect that way too. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, though do some kids waste time. Uh, a couple of the kids said they were going to be building models. Um, I think I took a picture of it and, uh, one of the boys used about s- 10 of my model kits oh to build gosh. an entire work, working, functioning infinity gauntlet. Oh my uh, God. <laughs> so he fitted it all around his arm and I was, I thought he was building some giant polymer that he had Googled. No, mm-hmm. he was building the freaking infinity gauntlet. So yeah, that's I creative. Was, I know. I was impressed. Like I thought it was cool. I was a little annoyed because he used half of the entire school's molecular right, model to build right. the thing, and another teacher needed them. And I was like, "Well, you can't have them because he built the Infinity Gauntlet." And then <laughs> he's going around snapping at kids like, "Ha ha! Half of you're gone. Half of you're gone." And oh uh, you know, yeah, it was. What, speaking of things that you love, and and I love chemistry too. Um, one of the things we always ask our guests, kind of in the middle of the interview, is about pets, dogs, or anything that you've had in your life. Oh my gosh! Because a lot of times. Uh, you know, a lot of times I find when I'm talking to my colleagues uh, the, about Bunsen, I love Bunsen, but their eyes kind of glaze over because like, oh, he's talking about his dog again. But this is the perfect place to talk about pets because um, everybody's tuned in. Everybody loves pets. They love hearing a good right. pet story. Do you okay. have a pet story you could share with us? I have several, but I will choose two. Um, so to preface, I have to say um, Cake is actually allergic to furry friends and feathered friends um so yeah i'm allergic to dogs and cats however i love them so much that i will happily like i will happily die for them um so it's fine (laughs) Uh, now i also have to say the extent of my allergy so the reason why i'm slightly partial to dogs is because i can tolerate being around them longer uh whereas with cats 
the onset of my allergy is almost immediate. And so mm. um, it's a little bit more difficult, but I, I love them anyway. So uh, I have a story of this cat. His name is Boda. He's not my cat. Any of the stories that I say are of, not about my own pet because I don't have one. But it's okay because I love these animals anyway. So I went to Arizona not too long ago and I was, I was going to visit my friend and her husband and um, they live in Tucson and we were going to visit Sedona, which is about two hours north. And so her sister just so happens to live in Sedona. And so we stayed at her sister's place um, and, and there were two dogs and a cat now. Ooh. Yes. <clears throat> One of them was hypoallergenic. One of them was very much not so. And then there was a cat. It, this cat was part Maine Coon. So that was, a, that was a bit of a struggle for Cake. However, right? So, so knowing that Cake is just slightly more partial to dogs, um, I paid those dogs very little attention because I was trying so hard to get this cat to love me. Because like I was like, I don't know what it is about this cat. It's just so majestic, this majestic feline. I just want this cat to love me. And so like I would spend like upwards 30 minutes to an hour just sitting down, like clicking my tongue and trying to get this cat's attention. And like I would like like very gently present the back of my hand to this cat to sniff. And one time I was like able to like this cat sniffed my hand and then put his head under my hand for me to pet him. And I was like, yes, I have been chosen. <laughs> um, so I just now half of my heart is in Arizona. Um, the other half of my heart is in San Diego, but like just like a couple miles down. Um, so there's this dog. I may or may not have tweeted about her several times. It's fine. Her name is Ellie. She is a golden retriever. And yes. Oh my gosh. This dog is the love of my life. So she like lives, quote unquote, on the fifth floor of the building adjacent to the one in which I work. And so whenever I am like just a little stressed or need to go for a walk, I will go for a walk to the building adjacent to me and then up the elevator and then down the hallway and then to like see the love of my life, Ellie. It's fine. And um, I love this dog. This dog has, I don't know what it is about this dog, but I just love this dog. Um, I, she like her eyes just light up every time I see her. And she's such a good, she is the goodest, she's like 19 out of 10 goodest girl. Like I, uh, if I'm being honest, I think 75% of my camera roll is of just her. So it's fun. And so a five minute break will have turned into a five hour break. And then I like return to lab and my lab mates are like, Christine, what happened? Where were you? And I was like, so you see, there was this dog. And then they were like, say no more. We know where you were. <laughs> I, so I, I am that type of person that like mid conversation will be like, oh my gosh, there's a dog uh yeah so then you are the perfect guest for the podcast I, the, people I love, that, yeah. the people that listen are exactly like that i love oh my gosh wow like when bunsen followed me on twitter i was like i i, I think i remember the conversation that it was like wow you're so like cool i'm gonna follow you and then i said well you're a doggo and i'm following you like this was <laughs> 
that's one thing near and dear to my family's hearts uh, is golden retrie- a golden retriever. They they just have their heart is as big as their smile. They're just amazing dogs. Such good doggos. Yeah, our our dog before Bunsen was a golden, and she was just the most lovely thing ever. So yeah, they st- they steal a piece of your heart and they take it with you. They're they're just amazing creatures. <sighs> I love dogs. Yeah. Love yeah, and you know what? To have a dog that close to go have uh go have a an emotional uh you know uplifting yeah. shot of shot of all of the hormones that make us feel better. I mean, they, they oh, come yeah. on. It's only going to make your science better. Like right. you're not you're not doing anything wrong. You're in fact you might get a breakthrough because of it. Like, geez. <laughs> I've definitely gotten like a second wind after visiting Ellie for like an hour. It was wonderful. Oh, yeah. yeah, you uh, got the yeah, they're like the, the the science is overwhelming that people who are people who are bonded and like dogs, if you get your dog fix, it like transforms your inner physiology. Like the 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 evidence is overwhelming. So Yeah. I'm no okay. doctor. I'm no doctor, but I'd say keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> okay. I will. I will. <laughs> Bunsen's a dog dur, so I think he would give you the same advice. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I guess I'm going to have to listen to the doctor's orders. Yeah, his um his prescription uh his, uh, his handwriting is about as good. So I think we're, 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 Oh my gosh. Get a, if it doesn't come across in the interview, your your Twitter's really funny and oh. you, you come across as a larger than life personality. Oh my gosh. Um, your pin your pin tweet is some edited gif that's just hilarious. And you're always, um, <laughs> Bunsen's talking. You yeah. always. <laughs> I think he's agreeing with, with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bunsen, do you agree? He's probably going to bark again. He likes talking to me. He's a he's a talky dog. Mm-hmm. Um, or he has conversations with you. But anyways, um, in your Twitter feed, you you are a hype person. I am a um, hype person. What, what does that like? What does it mean to be a hype person? And and who should we be hyping? Like, should we should we get on the hype train here? Oh, absolutely. Get on the hype train. Choo-choo. So, you know, that's a really interesting question because initially I wanted to say, like, honestly, like hyping people up is just like, I don't know, like, like putting positivity out into the world and like, yeah, that's it. But then I, I thought about this. Now that I think about this question a bit more, like, we can do some real talk here. Uh, I think to hype people up is to see and acknowledge people's successes and failures and to share that with them. Um, I think hyping people up means to let people know that you're in their corner and you're rooting for them regardless of the outcome. Yeah, that's um, so evident. That's so evident from your post. That you, I mean, pe- people, people who get your hype, I, I hope they feel that from you. I honestly like I just want because the science community is such a vibrant and brilliant community and I think the reason why I started this whole hype train if if that's what we want to call it is no we can get it trending all when this I think the reason why I wanted to start this was when I first started Twitter, like I was like, oh, you know, I want to, you know, be like, have this be a professional thing and and network because um, I've been in San Diego for so long and like, I only ever see the sun blow. Uh, But um, I I noticed that um, imposter syndrome is very much a thing. Mm -hmm. And I noticed people may have like, accomplishing 
fantastic, phenomenal, remarkable things and having a very difficult time being proud of that. And that made me really sad because that's something that I struggle with too. Because, you know, like imposter syndrome is a thing. Sometimes you feel, or a lot of the time you feel like, wow, is my science making a difference? Am I progressing in my education? Am I doing a good job? I don't know. Uh, a, a bunch of other people seem like they're doing better than I am. And, and then, then, you know, that downward spiral happens. And I guess this hype train happened because I wanted I wanted to put a stop to that, or at least I wanted to reduce it, right? And so I wanted to let people know, like, yeah, I'm just a stranger on the internet, but I want to let you know that I see your accomplishment and I'm celebrating with you. I want you to know that your accomplishment means something. Um, because that, like, that little burst of, like, wow, someone's proud of me, like, and this is a complete stranger, like, that might be the thing that's like, oh, I'm going to, like, keep on doing my best. Um, so like whenever people say, hey, I got tenure, like, woo, all oh, like, that's amazing. Or like, someone's like, I, I passed my candidacy exam, like, woo, or like, I defended my yeah. thesis, woo, or like, like even little things. Like if it's, if it's something that was like, you know, today it was really hard to get out of bed, but I got out of bed. It's just like, you know what? I am so proud of you because I've been there too. Like, I think an accomplishment to people is subjective and to be able to see that and celebrate with them is I, is what I would define hyping as. So it's really just putting positive energy out into the world and, and hoping that um, those hyped people will turn around and pay that forward. That is such a powerful message. You know, that it was a, it was a tongue in cheek question, but I know at the heart of it, it's so important to let people know that what they're doing is important. Yeah. And uh, as a as a teacher, I see all of you people on Twitter. Like I follow scientists, Bunsen follows scientists, and I see the work everybody's doing. And you know, maybe we do need more. Maybe maybe we do need more hype people. I mean, you we, you can't be the only one. Maybe we need to create an army of hype people because what what the scientists, the younger scientists, the younger generation is doing, I think, is going to change the world. Um, like it's. Yeah. It's it's like a tidal wave of of change I'm seeing from not my generation. My generation is, you know, on its way out. But the, your generation and younger, I, I see such positivity there. Um, I know there's self doubt. Um, if you're a hype person. Don't worry, Bunsen's in your corner. Bunsen will be your. <laughs> oh, that means a lot to me. <laughs> Thank you for so eloquently uh, explaining that. So, you know, something kind of silly, but it's actually really serious. That's great. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure. On to something, on to something you should be so proud of is oh. your podcast. Oh my gosh! Um, yeah, <laughs> can we talk about your podcast? I've listened to three or four episodes. I apologize. I'm going to listen to way more. Um, it's okay. Like, why, why take did, your time. Yeah, why? It's it's really it's got great information, and you have guests sometime. Yeah. Um, but it's also got some really. <laughs> like a left turn humor, like you're, you're starting something. I, I don't know. I really like the humor in it. Oh, thank what, you. <laughs> what made you like? What made you start a podcast? Like, um, not everybody. I don't know how many chemistry podcasts there are. There can't be that many. But like, what? I don't know. I want. I would. I'm just so curious. Why did you start it? This is a great question. Um, you're right. There are very few chemistry podcasts. In fact, I used to listen to all of the very few chemistry podcasts. Um, and it, it was a little saddening because I was like, man, like chemistry is so cool, but 
I there's like very little podcast about it. Um, so the reason why I started this podcast was not because there were a few chemistry podcasts. At the time when I was listening to chemistry podcasts, I was like, it crossed my mind. I was like, oh, what if I did a podcast? And then I was like, <laughs> nah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that was, that was, I was, I was still in my undergrad. And so the podcast launched this summer. Uh, and the reason why I started it was because um, UCSD is on the quarter system and we have three terms in, in the school year. And so my third term of this past academic year, I didn't take any classes. Like this was my first quarter, not doing classes, just doing research and teaching. Uh, and that was odd to me because like I got all my work done on campus and then I'd get home and I'd have no idea what to do with myself. Like I was just like, what do I do with my hands? Uh, and so I, I like tweeted like, Hey, so just hypothetical question. Um, the people not taking classes and don't have to do homework anymore. What, what do you do in your spare time? Like, I don't know what to do. I literally, and someone was like, Oh, you could watch a show. You could watch TV. And you know, I, um, I know myself a little too well. I can't sit myself still for long enough to watch a TV show or a movie. So that was like, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to politely decline that suggestion and one of my friends who's actually the host of a podcast was like hey you should start a podcast and I was like huh what would I talk about and he's like chemistry duh and so I thought <laughs> about that for like a I thought about it and then I, I like responded I was like all right well only if I can come up with a really dope jingle will I start a podcast and then he's like okay but you have to promise that you're gonna think about it and I'm like okay so I sat down for an hour thinking about like what I would call this podcast. And it actually struck me because um, at the same time I was teaching um, a class and my discussion sections and office hours were actually podcasted. And one of the things as an undergrad that bothered me, and, and like, this is a very personal thing. It's a very like cake specific thing. The one thing that bothered me was when um, the speaker's would check the mic by saying mic check check one two um for me as a musician that like i don't know why that like bothers me but it does like this is a very specific thing like you can be like okay cake that's weird uh and so the way that i would check the mic is by saying chemistry cake online for two reasons one it sounds better than check mic two one three like i no, or um, and also to let my students at home know I'm beginning to speak now. Now is a good time to pay attention. Uh, Cause mm. you know, like sometimes when you podcast and you're listening into it at home, like you don't know when it starts because there's this like good chunk of time where like no one is speaking, but you can hear the background and white noise. And so you're like, I don't know where to click. Um, and so just to let my students know, Hey, I'm starting now. I was like, huh, well, I always start my podcasts when I'm teaching with chemistry cake online. So I guess I'm just going to call it the chemistry cake online podcast. Uh, and then I was like, okay, well now I have a name. I have to have a jingle. And if this is the name of the podcast, I guess my jingle has to like relate to cake somehow. And so I sat there for another hour, like, like contemplating what tiramisu would sound like. 
And then I came up with a really cool <laughs> jingle, in my opinion. And so if you ever hear the jingle of my podcast, it's basically what I think Tiramisu sounds like as a song. <laughs> so I started the, I like was like, okay, I have a jingle, but I don't know what I would talk about. Like, I, 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 I and this is the imposter, imposter syndrome talking. I don't even know if I know enough chemistry to talk about chemistry, let alone host a podcast about it and like communicate it to the general audience. And so I sat down and I was like, I guess I could have guests. I could ask my friends to talk about their science. They do really cool science. And a lot of them want to be professors and science communicators. And they're really good at talking about science. Like to basically just ask them questions about their science and they can do all the talking. And then as I was conceptualizing what I would have this podcast be about, other things that came up were, well, there are a lot of material out there about, I guess, grad school, but it's not really current. It's either from the administration or faculty point of view, but very little about from the grad point of view, at least point of view. Oh, okay. From yeah, from my perspective, and so something that I thought about, like, and I was dreaming big here. I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this podcast, it's got to be long term. Like, I want this to make an impact. I was like, but lol, cake. Like that, it's like, would people even listen to your podcast? And I asked my friend, like, would you listen to my podcast? And the thing that she responded to me was really like stopped me in my tracks, made me think about actually starting this podcast. She had mentioned to me, hey, cake, if you start this podcast. You would be one of the few, if not the only queer woman of color talking about chemistry. And that's a big deal. Um, and I, I thought about that a lot. Uh, and so I guess that the preponderance of things, just being able to talk about grad school as I'm going through grad school to let people know, hey, if you're going through grad school, like these might be things that you might face. These are things that I have faced. Maybe they'll help you. Um, they'll get to learn about chemistry, really cool chemistry. Um, and, you know, like representation is also a really important thing. I want people to know like whatever um, underrepresented group you may or may not be a part of, like everyone is welcome. And I want to try and make my podcast welcoming and inviting um, and inclusive. And so like, because, because, Anytime I say chemistry to people who don't talk about chemistry, like the, what's the one response that you always get? I always get, oh, chemistry, <laughs> right? Like, I, I, I get, oh, so you, do you blow stuff up? Oh my or gosh. Something like, that? like, see, the one question like, I like, well, I do because <laughs> the one question I hate when people ask me is like, oh, can you make drugs? Like, Oh yeah, I, yeah, mean, I get that yes, all the time. But like, not the drugs you're <laughs> thinking about. <laughs> anyway, I digress. But you know, like, so that's like the preponderance of all of that that really made me want to launch this podcast. And so, like, I think it's been doing pretty well. Maybe I don't know. I I think like I enjoy. I really enjoy like listening to other people talk about their science. I really enjoy like suggestions that people have given me in terms of like, oh, like this is a thing that we need to talk about in grad school, but isn't really being talked about. Like, could you do like a set, uh, like a, an episode on this? And so like, that's been really sweet. 
um, it's also been really sweet to have people like random people come up to me like, oh my God, I listened to your podcast and like, I really love this. And I was just like, oh my gosh, it's making an impact. Oh, this so is cool. great. Like, and it's not a matter of like, oh my God, this makes me feel good. It's more a matter of, oh my gosh, like I, like this podcast is having a positive impact on someone's life. And now my hope is I hope they take that positivity and they pay that forward. That's really, that's really like, that's really my big thing is like, taking the positivity and paying it forward we need more of that that was how the chemistry cake online podcast came to fruition <laughs> oh that's such a that's such a wonderful story you should be proud of your accomplishments with your podcast a you wrote the freaking okay let me get this right you wrote your own jingle like you yes. that's the song i listened to you wrote that thing yes oh, i my. did so fun i fact, had to get a company to make the I, uh, my podcast <laughs> jingle I don't have an artist. Oh, that's crazy. Good for you. It's so, you. it's catchy too. I love it. Oh, the, like <laughs> I was like, this jingle has to be like the catchiest thing ever. Uh, yeah. It's a fun fact, that's, actually. It's it, Sorry. It's, it's super important. Like uh, I did before yeah. I started, before I started the the science podcast, I had did some research and this podcast is about you. But if you want to know, I was in the same boat as you. I was sitting at the end of June, school was out. My wife is working on her master's. Nice. And my son is in marching band and my other son is old, older and he's, he's moved out and it was just me and Bunsen. I kind of looked at him and I was like, well, you know, I think maybe I could do a podcast. So I kind of started kind of the same way you did, yeah. so, which was really interesting, except totally devoid of your amazing artistic talent. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa. Okay. So actually this is a, this is a really fun fact. Um, so a lot of people on Twitter know me as a scientist first. Which is really interesting because um, I actually got a lot of perhaps resistance, so to speak, trying to become a scientist because I am a classically trained musician. Um, I have been practicing. So I'm 23 years old. I have been practicing music for 20 years. And so... Yeah, a lot of a lot of the folks back home thought I was going to be a musician. They all wanted me to be a musician. Were really disappointed oh. when I went to. Yeah, they re- were really disappointed that I went to to university for science. Uh, wow, yeah. that's something you don't really hear often, huh? Uh, but you know, I you're think- so you're so good though, Christine. I, oh, I'm sorry you. to interrupt you, but you're <laughs> so good. Like you're the song you sang, the acapella science thing. Um, I, I blew okay, it, yeah. it blew me away. I played that for my freaking students like the next day. Oh my god! They couldn't believe it. It's okay, so good. I have to, but but we, I have to like make it completely clear that I did not write that song. Like Tim no, Blaze no, no, was the mastermind up, behind it. Yeah, yeah, cover of the cover of. It's, cover so, of. it's so good. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> but, um, Pete, you had some disappointment that you went into science instead of music, hey? Yeah, so, I was. Ah, uh, you know what? Haters are gonna hate, and in your music brain and that part of your brain that you developed, I'm sure has paid dividends in your science training. Like you, you probably can think, oh, outthink your your classmates in different ways they never thought possible. Um, well, oh man, I never even thought of it that way. It was I just thought it yeah, was like, like you've got oh, totally different like, brain development. You've got like a superpower. <laughs> I was just you know you gotta think outside the box. Like if we're if we're on this topic, I think um, that artistic side has really helped me. Like just in terms of thinking, okay, has really helped me be very like it's exercised that creativity of like okay, mm, yeah. like this is one way that I did something. This is the way that everyone's done it, but it's not working for me. 
I'm going to try it another way. And I'm going to try it another way. And I'm going to try it another way. Um, so it has actually made troubleshooting for me very, I'm going to say the word easy, cautiously. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just facilitated that process of troubleshooting where where it's like, okay, well, it's kind of like, it's kind of like uh, breathing for me, I suppose you could say. And, and, you know, there are some times where I have like a mental block, um, but it's definitely like I'm not beating my head against my desk trying to figure out like, oh, I don't understand why it's not working um, because it's just like, okay, well, it's not working. Let's try something else. Like from, man, if you've been playing music that long, um, you have like perseverance, right? Because playing music, you have to mm-hmm. practice, persevere, practice, persevere. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Uh, my youngest son is a he's a freaking savant at marching band. Like you can play a bunch of different instruments. So something skipped a generation, and he he has it. <laughs> it's definitely made him better at school. So, mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, that, that's so cool. Um, I wonder if we could transition into the super fact. Uh, okay, is, is that okay? Yeah. The super fact for the people who maybe this is the first time they're listening to the podcast. The super fact is something, you know, that when you tell people it just like, it just, just like blows their mind uh, just because it's so amazing. Do you have a super fact you could share with us? It's funny that you mentioned like earlier in this podcast that my personality is bigger than life on Twitter because I'm actually a very small human. Like I'm five feet. <laughs> like I'm I'm pretty small. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, but you kick you kick butt though. Oh, so speaking about kicking butt, <laughs> I was actually trained in martial arts for seven years. What's your martial art, Christine? So my martial art technically was the art of taekwondo. Uh, okay. But we also did self-defense. I'm a little hesitant to share this fact, but I, I am still proud of it. Um, when I was, I believe, 13, I, I got my third degree black belt when I was 13 and was breaking three inches of wood at that age already. Mm. And so I um, was really like, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed that martial art. It was it was, a, you know, we were talking about like perseverance and science. I think a lot of the perseverance came from, you know, training in martial arts and really like learning about control and learning about um, integrity. Um, and I, I think that having trained in martial arts for that long shaped me as one, a human and two, a scientist. Uh, I am like, I know I'm really young, but I am retired. There were some, uh, health complications that had to make me I had to stop but um, I really did enjoy it so that was that's my super fact I am a third degree black belt <laughs> just <again. laughs> that's amazing I, I'll share something that people probably don't know about me nice uh, I, I have I am a Sifu level in uh, Kung Fu so amazing I've been, I've, oh my gosh that's so yeah. cool yeah, so I, uh, I, I, my, I study praying mantis kung fu, um, nice. the, 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 one of the branches of the Shaolin kung fu, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's not like wushu, so it's com- very very hard and combative, and mm-hmm. yeah, and I agree one hundred percent with what you say. There's a lot, a lot we can learn from taking a martial art, and all martial arts are great, right? Yeah. So yeah, taekwondo is awesome, great for your great for your mind and your spirit, mm-hmm. and, and I'd say kung fu is the same way. So hey. 
uh, we both shared something about martial arts. That's, that's, that's cool. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh my gosh. Wow. Connecting over dogs, chemistry and martial arts. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. You, you can just kick better than me. Taekwondo has got crazy kicks. Oh my god. We goodness. have a lot of, yeah, we have a lot of kicks. <laughs> lot, yeah. A lot of kicks. Yeah. We have, um, we have 16 different weapons that, that we do oh as part of our gosh. style. So. Yeah. Wow, that's insane! That's incredible. I could talk about it for yeah, it's, I could talk about it for a while. But hey, this podcast is about you. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's thank you for sharing that. That's really cool. So you, you know, watch out, watch out. You may you may be short in stature, but I think people don't want to pick pick on you. I think they'd be in for a surprise. Um, <laughs> all of the hype sends all of the hype. <laughs> yeah, Weapon of choice, hype. hype. <laughs> and sadly, you know what? We're at the end of the podcast. I, you're such a bubbly person, and um, man, you're, you have such an inspiring story for just your journey into chemistry and and uh, the reasons why you started your podcast. Uh, you know, I wish nothing but the best for you in the future, and I hope your podcast grows. and And I hope you you, you discover some crazy stuff about. Uh, polydopamine. That's amazing. Oh, thank you so much. That really means a lot to me. <laughs> hey, where can people find you on Twitter? Where can people find you on social media if you want to be found? <laughs> hey, y'all. If you want to be a part of the hype and the hashtag Cake Nation, you can follow me on Twitter at Chemistry Cake. Uh, that is at C H E M I S T R Y C A Y K. Um, the podcast is now on Instagram. So you can follow the podcast um, at Chemistry Cake Online. That is at C-H-E-M-I-S-T-R-Y-C-A-Y-K-O-N-L-I-N-E. We would love to have you be a part of the Cake Nation so I can hype you up. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any other uh, causes that you love or things you'd like people to know about? Yes. Uh, so actually, I recently became um, a fellow with the STEM Advocacy Institute. And so if y'all could follow them on Twitter, um, at mm. STEM Advocacy, that is at S-T-E-M-A-D-V-O-C-A-C-Y. Um, they're a really sweet and wonderful group of people that really just want to make science accessible for people we we care about science communication and that's what we want to do and so if y'all want to learn more about science follow them it's really cool they have some really cool projects going on um yeah i guess we're at the end here uh thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast and talking to us about chemistry your passion for chemistry yeah just oozes from your every pore and, and that's in a, the most complimentary thing possible <laughs> in chemistry <laughs> you just have a just, oh just, just so, so, so positive and inspiring thank you thank you so much for having me it was our pleasure and uh yeah take care and we just wish the best for you in the future thank you so much all right it's that time of week again it's time for the mailbag with me adam Okay, so the question this week um, comes from a poll on Twitter. We have polls on Twitter a lot, so the questions come from there all the time. Does Bunsen like cats? Mom, does Bunsen like cats? You know what? Bunsen does like cats. Um, we have taken Bunsen over to my stepdad's place, Gord. Gord has Doc, but then he also has, wait for it, four cats he's got four cats he he's like four he's like cats. he's like the cat lady but not <laughs> really 
Uh, yes, he is like the cat lady. Anyway, he has four cats and um, Bunsen likes them, but they don't necessarily like Bunsen back. Um, they're used to Doc and they find Doc kind of annoying. Um, but Bunsen's very large. They're just not quite sure. But he likes them. Yeah. And so the next question is, does Bunsen steal food? Okay, so I will answer this question. Bunsen does not actively steal food, but if you leave it on the floor or something or you're not watching it, he'll steal it. But another way that he steals it is when you're eating food, he knows that you're eating food. You could be in a closet downstairs in the pitch black and he'll still know that you're eating food. He'll come to you and look at you with his with his beady, soulful eyes and try to steal, well, steal in quotation marks, your food. Mom, has that ever happened to you? So I'm working on my master's and I go into the computer room um, and I just close the door and I work. Or I just have Bunsen in there with me. And I think I took some grapes in there. I'm not quite sure if one uh, accidentally fell onto the floor. But I was sitting there, and then all of a sudden, like a bull in a china shop, all of a sudden, boom, Bunsen pushes me out of the way, and my folder with all my papers went flying, and I said, thanks, Bunsen. But I didn't realize that he was trying to get the grape, and he was successful, but I hadn't realized that it had fallen on the floor. So grapes aren't necessarily a great thing for dogs to have, but whoops, he was an opportunist waiting to happen. Yeah, he doesn't steal food like our retriever did. Callan was smart and agile, and she could jump up on the counter and scoopy-scoop with her paws and take whatever was... She could steal food from anywhere. It was crazy. Even from a baby. That was even from a baby. Chris is really far away. All right. The last question is for you, Dad. It's because you're one of the only people who could actually answer it. How do you take Bunsen's pictures? Okay, so it might be surprising to know that all of Bunsen's pictures, and and I think I've taken some, I've gotten better. When I started out, they weren't that good. We didn't know Bunsen was going to be this thing on social media. And we we took pictures of him as a puppy because he was like, okay, what the heck, Bunsen? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Okay, so... We just had a calamity here with Bunsen. He has this puzzle box thing, and I think he got frustrated at it and chucked it, and then it made a slamming sound. <laughs> so, Slamma pajama. Is he okay? What were we talking about? Oh my goodness! Oh, pictures. Yeah. So we, when Bunsen was a puppy, we didn't know he was gonna be he was gonna be a thing. So we just took pictures of him because he was freaking adorable. Um, but now I know about like I did a bunch of research on how to take pictures. Um, like how to frame them with the sun or some scenery behind. And I just use my iPhone. That's I take pictures on my iPhone and then I bring up the structure of the picture a little bit and I bring up the sharpness a little bit to get the, the scenery. Like I really like his scenery pictures. I love going on adventures with him and then getting him to pose. He loves posing because he gets a treat um, and then I snap a picture and then I just do a little bit of editing um, to bring out the sharpness of it and that's how I take most of his pictures. It's taken a bit of training when he was young to get him to hold still because puppies don't hold still. 
But now he's really good at freezing in place and holding still. And yeah, that all you have to tell him is pause up. And he uh, does it, and he's super cute. And I take pictures of him, too, and I share them with Jason. And I think he just, oh, those are nice. <laughs> and papoos them a little bit. No, they're good. They're good. Just, I don't know who the, which who, who takes Bunsen out in the freezing cold on walks, though. Um, not me. <laughs> and so anyway, that's been the podcast with me, Adam. Sadly, this week, we're going to have to end it now, but... Thanks for all your questions. Next week, we'll be having story time with Bunsen. See you later. And that's the end of this week's podcast. Thank you for coming back week after week to listen to us talk about some science, some stories about Bunsen, and the awesome guests that we have on. This week, we got to give some thanks to Christine K, a.k.a. Chemistry Cake, her interview was just so fun. Love talking to her. Our top tier patrons also get a shout out at the end of the podcast. We couldn't do what we do without their support. And they are Andrea Persons, Liz Button, Ben Rathert, Bianca Hyde, Chris Hemhold, Elizabeth Bourgeois, Karen Beth St. George, Kathleen Zucher, Marilyn McNally, and Carmen Preciado. Thank you so much for your support. If you want to hear your name spoken, just head to Bunsen's Patreon page. Our other quick shout-out is to Tailblazers in Red Deer. Tailblazers is our local pet food supplier, and they're helping share the podcast locally. It's really interesting to see our stats with our podcast hosting site. We have a lot of local listeners that listen to the podcast, but lots of international listeners too. So thanks, Tailblazers, for help getting the word out about the podcast. If you're in central Alberta, check out Tailblazers. Our guest next week is Dr. Holland Doherty, an expert in cow and sheep digestion who's working in Australia. Tune in next week for that interview. And let's end again with Bunsen's motto. For science, empathy, and cuteness! <laughs>